want to pray, not just because it's a good thing to do, but especially this morning. Because what I want to share with you beginning today, it won't end today, is perhaps the most important series of messages I've ever given in 20-some years of ministry. Because we're at a critical stage. And, and we need to hear God speak to us. I'm just a man, just like you're a man or, or, or a woman. But the Bible's clear God uses people to speak to us. He's also used a donkey before, so I don't let that go to my head. <clears throat> He'll use whatever's open, whatever he's assigned to use. The reason he used the donkey is because the man of God wouldn't speak what God had for him to speak. And so if God won't, if I don't open my mouth, God's going to use a donkey <laughs> or stones in some cases. So I, I come to you this morning with what Paul talked about, fear and trembling, not afraid for myself, not nervous, but a, a holy reverence for what I believe God wants to speak to us here this morning. In the book of Revelation, where Jesus comes back, this is not Jesus at the Last Supper. This is not Jesus with a lamb around his neck bringing the one lost sheep back. This is the head of the church appearing to the Apostle John and speaking to him the prophetic message that is proclaiming and for, for looking ahead at what is to come. And the beginning of this, after he's revealed himself to the Apostle John, is he, he speaks to the Apostle seven different messages to seven different churches. And actually it says to each one of them he speaks, he dictates a letter basically, it's a report card of what, where they are and what is to come. And he speaks it to the angel of the church. Now some translations will say angel, some will say messenger. There's some that view this as an angel that's assigned to a church to look over a church, and that may well be true. But my personal belief is to the person God's put in charge of it and responsible for it. And in this case here, that is me. And I say this with great reverence, not because I've sought to be in this position, but God has clearly put me here, put us here. And, and over the last year or so, there's been something growing in my heart as specific instructions and vision for the purpose of this church. You've heard me, heard me share a number of times that this church has a destiny from God, that it was established through Pastor Sam Smith, who didn't want to come up here. He was happy in Texas. He had a one, nice church in Texas. Then he was traveling with his sister up into the New England area, and God spoke with him, and in his own words, there are still heel marks today from where God, in his words, drug him up here. If you didn't know Pastor Sam, you had to understand how he said things. He dragged him up here, but once he became willing, it is on the, his shoulders and his wife Donna's shoulders that God established this church through all kinds of persecution, all kinds of... Back in those days, what you and I are used to in this area was not common. There was spiritual forces that opposed it. There were pastors that opposed it. There were all kinds of opposition. There was persecution. And he stood strong because that's the kind of faith that man had and that woman had. And that's the kind of strength and conviction and character that they had. And God's, we can't ever forget. That's why we go back and look at our heritage from time to time. But the point is God did that. He's brought us through all kinds of difficulties and I don't want to get into any of them right this morning. It's not just one. It's been numbers of different things. And God's grace has continued to be here. God's hand has continued to be in this church. We've had minister after minister come through from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, all said the same thing. There's something about this church. It's not Pastor Sam. It was not Pastor David. It's not me. It's God's hand on this church. 
And what I've kept asking is, okay, God, I've seen the talent that you've gathered here. I've seen the history that this church has. Why? 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 You're not just doing this, I don't believe, to have 850, 900 people on a Sunday morning. That's wonderful. That's great in this part of the country. But there's something more. I know it. So I began to pray and seek God for that. And something began to grow and bubble in me. But I couldn't quite pull it together. And one of the purposes that I saw for this fast we've just come through, for me and then for you, was to make the vision clear. And so what I'm going to begin to do today is to begin to share with you what I, would God, and I don't believe I know, what God has shown me. But it's going to begin with some preparation, maybe some things that are difficult for us to see and hear. But I believe with all my heart it is God speaking. And just as God, see, the lesson to me of those seven churches is that Jesus spoke a different message to each church because he knows where the church is. He knows his church. And he spoke prophetically to that church to tell them where they were, what they needed to do so that they could get to where he saw them getting. And that's what we're going to begin to talk about this morning. Father, we come to you today, I come to you with, with reverence, a holy reverence, because we're no longer coming to just hear messages that make us feel good about ourselves, even just messages of direction and, and hope. And those are all wonderful things that you have laid here in this church already, and I believe will continue to reinforce. But I believe with all my heart, we are at a moment of decision. We are at a crossroads, Father. I've even had it confirmed in the Spirit this morning by someone else that we are at a crossroads this morning. Father, there's a message that you have for us by the Spirit of the living God. So our prayer this morning, first of all, Father, is that we'd come forth by the anointing of your Spirit, not just in clarity, not just with precision, but in the power of your Spirit. And that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to grasp and understand what you are saying to Faith Christian Center here today. We trust you that you are going to do that because we've asked. So we thank you for it, even in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29. Now, I was in Bible school and heard this over and over again, and I've seen this in church growth conferences, and I've seen this in other seminars. And I've seen it quoted. I use the New King James. And the King James says, Without a vision, the people perish. But that's not exactly accurate to what the Hebrew really says. New King James says, Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. The word revelation there is a word that means prophetic vision. Prophetic vision. Now, we think of that, when we hear that word prophetic vision, we think of prophesying. Someone standing before a congregation or before you personally and say, Thus saith the Lord. You know, and we get goosebumps and say, Praise God, and jump around and say, God just spoke to us. And then, 20 minutes later, we don't remember what God said. But we're excited. God moved but we don't remember what God said. When the prophets of old spoke, they spoke with an authority. Such an authority that when Elijah spoke 
to the air, to the, to the, to the, to the elements and said, you're not going to reign until I tell you to. The elements obeyed him. James quotes that in James chapter 5. And then three and a half years later, he speaks to the terrain and it did rain. They spoke with a power and an authority. Paul, in several places, writes to different churches and said, I don't come to you with enticing words of wisdom. He could have done that because he was very eloquent, he was very articulate, he was very well-educated, and he could speak very well and very powerfully in natural words. But he said, instead, I come to you in the power of the Spirit. That's what we're looking for. The power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see more clearly as we get into this. But prophetic vision is really nothing more than God speaking what He sees to a group of individuals. It's God speaking to us. And as I said earlier, He'll speak through men, He'll speak through a woman, and as I said, He's even spoken through a donkey. He'll speak from heaven. He'd speak from rocks if they didn't cry out when Jesus entered Jerusalem. God's will, God is a speaking God. God's not holding back. He has things to say to us. But we have to be willing to hear and willing to listen. So what this verse is telling us, what this bit of wisdom that Solomon shared is telling us, is that unless we have a word from God, a prophetic word from God, a call, a purpose, then the people are unrestrained. That means they just have no focus. They're wandering all over the place. And that's in many ways where we are today. Not just Faith Christian Center, but I'm going to speak on two levels. I'm going to speak generally where the church is, at least in the United States. Not everybody, but it's where the church is generally. And then we're going to talk specifically about where Faith Christian Center is. Because in this time of prayer and fasting, God began to show me where we are. Began to open my eyes to get an insight from His point of view of where we are. But the beginning is to understand why vision, not just man's vision. See, this is a well-established principle of leadership. That if you don't, you know, if you go into many companies, they'll have a mission statement on there. That's their vision. Vision, where are we about? Why are we here? Why are we selling hamburgers? Why, why, Why do we have this online company? Why are we doing what we're doing? And some of these companies, I think, it's, I think it's Marriott or one of them, you know, I, I've read where, where, where one of these leadership teachers went in there and he was asking a guy changing light bulbs. You know, why do you do that? And the mission statement came out of him. Because they understood leadership principle, that it, without, without vision, without purpose, people have no focus. But that wasn't man's idea. That's God's idea. Here we're not about having the best hotel available. Here we're not about selling the best hamburgers and having the best restaurant or having the best, you know, fast food chicken store place. We're about God's work. We're about the kingdom of God. We're about what's important to God. That's why the church is here. That's not just Faith Christian Center. That's why His church is here. And many churches and many of us are running around trying to do things for God without a focus and without a purpose. We're going to see that as we get into what God showed me because when you have no focus and you have your purpose, good people, and, and, and we are good people. God reassured me. He says, Faith Christian Center is filled with good people who love me and want to serve me. But unless there's clear vision from me, they're off all doing their own thing. 
I want to do something, so I start a Bible study and I do this. I want to do this, so I do whatever here. I want to do this, so I want to serve God, so I just go do something. And the Lord showed me it's because they need vision from me. They're willing to follow, but they need vision from me. So I began to pray, and that's one of the purposes of this fast. God, I need to hear that from you. There were some things that had been growing in me over several years now, and this fast, they came together with focus and clarity. And that's what I'm going to begin to share with you. But before we get into vision, we have to get into preparation. Why it's important to take this step. Why it's important to understand where we are. So prophetic vision is God speaking to us. And unless he speaks to us, and unless we have a clear word from God, what happens is we're unrestrained. That doesn't mean we're a bunch of rebellious people. That means we're just off doing our own thing, in many cases, out of good intentions and desire to serve the Lord. But we're doing this thing over here, and this thing over here, and this thing over here, and they're not coordinated together for his purpose. We're going to see that much more clearly as we get into that. Prophetic vision. Without a word from God, a prophetic word, prophetic image, a prophetic instructions from God about what we are called to do, the people are unrestrained, all of us, including me. Something else to share with you about churches. They're not all the same, and they're not all supposed to be the same. We're not in competition with any other church. We're all after the same thing. But if, if you can think about this, and we're going to talk about this later on, Jesus uses, or Paul uses in, in Ephesians 4, and we spent almost a year in the first 16 verses, and we're going to come back to it. Uses the, he says that the church is, is his body. That's not symbolic. It is his body. It is his physical presence on the earth. And when, that, when, that, when your, body, your body is made up of different parts, it's all cells. And every one of us is a cell in his body. But if you notice, your cells in your body are all collected around similar cells, which are all organized around a particular purpose for that part of your body. So you have some cells that are located in your feet. And those cells have been collected together so that your left foot can perform its function. Other cells are formed in your right foot so your right foot can perform its function. Faith Christian Center is a part of the body of Christ. And you and I have been called here. I believe with all my heart that from God's perspective, we don't have a choice of where we go to church. We're assigned, just as your parents' DNA in you, assigned a particular part for every cell that was raised up in you, formed in you. It's just that because we don't understand that purpose, we go where we like it. I like the music here. I don't like the music here. I like the color of the seats here. I don't like the color of the seats here. That's going to church. Imagine if your body did that. Called dysfunctional. So your left foot is not called to compete with your right hand. And they don't look the same. So different churches are going to look differently. I don't mean just physically. I mean in terms of what they're doing because they have a different purpose. But all of those purposes of those churches need to be coordinated together by the head of the church so that together they're moving to perform His will in the earth. But without that vision from the head, without that, you got here today 
Because your head gave vision to your body. And each part had a role to play in getting you here. Your feet, your hands, your eyes. All of you, you're here today because each of your parts successfully cooperated and listened to the vision and obeyed and did what it was told to do. As a result, you're here today where God wanted you to be. Without prophetic revelation, without a voice from God speaking to us, we have no restraint. Why? Because we have no focus and no purpose. All right. Now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to take our time to go through this because it's important. This is a foundation for what we're going to see. But this is to prepare us to receive it, to prepare us to hear it, so we understand why we need to hear this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we've been talking on Wednesdays, verses 1 through 6, but now we're going to pick up in verse 12. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. Paul speaking to a particular part of the body of Christ. We dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What he's talking about here is you're the worst person to figure out where you are. Spiritually. Or in any way. Do you ever notice that when you get... Sometimes it happens to me. I'll come in in the morning... To go into the office, you know, I've left home, i got my hair right where I want it, everything's right where it's supposed to be. I get in the car, we have our gar- cars in the garage, we get in the garage, there's no wind, and I'm just, you know, it's just where I want it to be, you know, and I'm, I don't care that much, but when you have less than you used to have, it's important where, it put, where you put it. And so I get in it, you know, I get out of the car, and it never fails. A gust of wind comes along, and I can feel it standing straight up. You're trying to turn so the wind blows it down again, you know. Walk kind of backwards to get there, you know. And, you know, you don't want to look foolish, you know. After all, you're the senior pastor. You don't want to bump into things, you know. You're supposed to be leading them and you're running into things, you know. And, you, and you, you, know, you kind of smooth it down. And the problem is I can't see my own hair to put it back in place. So I know sometimes when we come in here, we come in the back door, that can happen there. So there's no, I'll ask my wife, is everything where it needs to be? So I, I, I need her, I need someone else's viewpoint, because I can't see myself clearly. Now, if that's true for my hair, or the lint on the back of my coat, how much more isn't that, is that true spiritually? And what Paul is saying is it's not wise for us to figure where we are by comparing ourselves with ourselves. I don't think I'm doing pretty good. I'm not doing what I used to do. I've made a lot of progress. That's good. That's good. The other thing he says is not wise is to compare ourselves with each other. The old saying is, if if you want to feel young, hang out with old people. (laughs) <laughs> if you want to feel handsome or beautiful hang out with ugly people 
Why? Because we, we evaluate we are, where we are by where we are, where people around, where we think people are around us. But Paul in these verses says, that's not wise. Now we're talking about wise from God's point of view. It'll make you feel better temporarily. But ultimately, ultimately, we talked about this last week and have talked about it before for quite a while. Ultimately, when this is all over, we're going to stand before him. So it's his standard that matters. When I practice law, I would often have clients come in and they'd sit down and tell me their tale of woe or what they'd been through and tell me what they wanted to do, what they thought was just and right. And they said, boy, you know, I, I, they ought to pay me that money. They owe me that money. And I had to explain to them, just because you think you're owed something, just because you feel wronged, doesn't mean the law says you're entitled to it. Because the law has certain standards that have to be met before the judge is obligated to award you that verdict. So I'm listening to their tale of woe in terms of what I'm going to have to prove to a judge, not in terms of what they think they're entitled to. And it was amazing how many clients would sit there and tell me what, what, the, what, what the law ought to do. And I'm wondering, why are they paying this firm so much money to sit and listen to me when they're so wise in their own eyes and they figured everything out already? But the problem is they were going to find a, a, a drastic reality when they stood in front of the judge because he's not going to go on what they want. He's going to go on what the law says. And that's a mini picture of what all of our future is. Because there's coming a day when all of us, each of us, not all of us, each of us individually stand before him. So I guess it's my training. I just always want to know what is he going to require? What's he require? What's he see? What's his standard? And that's what Paul's talking about here. So let's, let's read on for a moment. So comparing yourselves with others and comparing yourselves with yourself is not wise. Verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed to us. In other words, Paul knew his assignment. The sphere is talking about the, the, the area of the, his assignment from God and the boundaries of that assignment. You understand God has assigned something for you to do. And if you're called here, it's you're assigned as a part of what God wants to do here. And Paul knew what his boundaries were. I know what God's given to me to do. I know. I am in complete peace over that, and I have no ambition to do anything outside of that. God's made clear to me, my, I've been entrusted with my wife, my family, and this church, and that's it. I have no ambitions to have a worldwide ministry, I have no ambitions to be lifted up and exalted. I, my ambition is to stand before God and present you to Him and what God gave him, God, God wanted you to do and this body to do and hear from Him well done. That's my only ambition. And that's everything. It's everything. It's all or nothing. And that's what motivates me. That's what drives me. That's what helps me make decisions. Because you see, that's what vision will do. Vision brings clarity to your choices. Because when it, the choice of this may be good, but does it enhance the vision? This may be good, but is it, is it advancing God's purpose? Paul says there are a lot of good things, but I don't, there's some of them I don't do. Why? Because they hinder the vision. They hinder what I'm here to do. 
They hinder my purpose. And so what vision and purpose will do is it will help you make decisions and choices. Because there's many good things you can be doing out there. But the question is, is it your assignment for the, for the completion of that vision? That's the issue. Because that's what we're going to have to give an account for. Not whether I did a lot of good things, but that I do what I was assigned to do. Okay. Let's read on. For however, we do not boast beyond the measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. A sphere or a boundary or an assignment which especially includes you, this church at Corinth. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in man's labor, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the region beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. Paul knew his assignment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And this is what I want you to get to see. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Paul did not measure himself by others, but by what God had given him to do. In, in 2 Timothy, you see at the end of his ministry in life, he said, I've run my course. Now think of what that says. I've run my course. Not somebody else's. He didn't say, I've run a good course. He said, I've finished my course. I've finished my race. The one that was given to him to do. And that's a vision. That's an assignment. All right. He knew the vision, the purpose of his ministry, and the ultimate measure is by the Lord who gave him the purpose. Nobody else can measure that ultimately, but the one who gave you the assignment. We can't evaluate where we are, only God through revelation. Therefore, what I'm going to share with you, this vision compares where we are with where he wants us to be. And that's why I went through this story. It's not where we think we are. I'm talking to us individually and collectively as a church. It's not where we think we are. It's not where we are compared to other churches. It's where we are compared to where he sees us and he wants us to be. His standard. His standard. Now, the good news is he's speaking to us. The good news is he's giving us a standard. The good news is, and we're right on time, I believe. I don't believe we're behind schedule. I believe we're right on schedule. But we are at a critical stage. We are at a critical stage. I had someone come up to me during praise and worship and share with me a vision that they'd seen. And it was like there was, there was going to be an explosion here. It was going to go one of two ways. It was going to either explode out or explode in. That tells me we're at a crossroads. I shared with you before the fast. I believe the crossroads we're at is we can just continue on and be just a nice church. And just enjoy coming to church. Enjoy seeing one another on Sunday morning. Enjoy the blessings that God has given us here. And if that's where we stay, we miss our destiny. We miss our call. And the concern I have is if we do that, the tendency is if your body's not growing, what's it doing? It's dying. It's called atrophy. 
If you've ever had a situation where you've had your arm in a cast or leg in a cast and you couldn't exercise it for a while and they take it off and you say, wow, this is great, I can go do what I do before. You can't until you build that muscle back up. So if we're not growing in the vision, we're atrophying. We're beginning to disintegrate. And the problem is we can do that and look nice on the outside. We can do that and still have a church full. We can do that and all look pretty and nice and smile, have our hands in the air, sing on Sunday morning, and we look around and things look great on the outside. But the question is, what does God see on the inside? That's what matters. And that's what God is speaking to us about. So there's no need to fear, but there's a need to be sober, awake, alert, listen, hear, because this is serious. It's time for us as a church to make some choices. Okay. And you can't avoid it. Because to avoid it is to make a choice. It's called the ostrich, symbol, uh, the ostrich uh, uh, method. You know what an ostrich does? When an enemy comes up, he sticks his head in the ground because he can't see the enemy. Of course, the, most, the biggest part of him is exposed now <laughs> without any defense. All right. Okay. Turn with me to the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 37. While I've been praying over this and praying over this and praying over... This is not the vision. This is preparation. While I've been praying over this, God kept bringing me back. And I didn't want to... I've just been careful. I said, God, I don't want to speak something that I, that, I, that I think is a good idea. I want to know what you're saying. And I go back and I pray over this and let it go and pray over this. And every time I would do it, it keeps coming back to me and back to me and growing and growing and growing in me. Ezekiel 37. Now, background here, just so we can understand, because he's obviously prophesying a vision to the nation of Israel. Ezekiel was a prophet sent to the southern nation of Judah. At this time in Israel's history, they had been divided. Now, at this point, they're not even divided because the northern nation is gone. But after Solomon's reign, under his son's reign, Israel was divided, because before it was 12, 12 tribes, it was divided into two nations. The northern nation, which was ten tribes, was called the nation of Israel. The southern nation, which was made up of two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, was called the nation of Judah. They had different kings, and as you go through the book of Kings and Chronicles, you'll see those kings recited in there, and what they did and didn't do recited in there. Now, what's happened at this point in history is the northern nation has been overcome by the Assyrians and they've been dispersed. They've never to be collected together again until the end. The southern nation was taken now at this point. That, that happened about 150 years earlier. The southern nation has now been taken into captivity as an entire nation into Babylon, the old Babylon. A small remnant was left in Jerusalem. To, 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 and they ended up intermarrying with the, with, with, the, with the people that the Babylonians brought in, and they became the Samaritans. And so at this point, this prophet, Ezekiel, was taken in the second export. He was taken over into Babylon, and he is a prophet to the people in exile, as well as speaking words of encouragement to the people that are still left behind in Jerusalem. Jeremiah was a prophet that was left in Jerusalem to be an encouragement to those that were there. Actually, the encouragement was, you're going to be here longer than you think you are. But God is restoring. So that's the background. So technically, this vision was given to Israel to say he was going to restore 
Israel. But if you look in chapter 36, you'll see there's prophecy in there that clearly speaks about the church. Because it talks about being born again. I will take an old heart of stone out of you and put in you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and I will clean you. That's clearly talking about the new birth. So this applies not just to Israel in the fu- Israel then and then Israel in the future. I believe this is a prophetic word to the church today. So let's begin to look at this and then we'll take it apart. And again, it will take, may take us a couple of weeks to do this, but it's worth it because we're laying a foundation. By the, but the, the hand of the Lord came upon me. Now the hand of the Lord, especially in Ezekiel, refers to the Holy Spirit and His power. It's God's hand. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many bones in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. Let's stop there a second. So what we see here is God going to show Israel something, or Judah something, through Ezekiel gives him a vision. And in this vision, he's taken from where he is out to a valley. And he's caused to pass among these bones and to look at these bones. And what he gets in his senses is how many bones they are and that they're scattered. Now, let's just talk about this because God showed me there's some components in there that apply to the church. First of all, the place he takes them out to the place that's full of these dry bones is a valley. That's significant. God usually met with people, not in valleys, but on the top of mountains. To get to the top of a mountain, I was, I was praying about, Lord, I'd love to have a mountaintop experience sometime. I'd love, and the Lord says, how do you get to the top of a mountain? I said, it's work. Said, yeah, you've got to climb. Not only that, it's not too crowded at the top. And the reason it's not too crowded at the top is it takes work to get there. And most people don't want to put the work in. They'd rather just let go. So if the easier, it's hard to climb to the top of a mountain, but if you let go, you'll slide down into a valley. So a mountaintop, which is where God tended to meet with people, he met with Moses there. He met with some prophets up at the top of a mountain. Jesus was transfigured for his disciples on top of a mountain. Jesus often went up on top of a mountain to pray. Down in the valley is usually where the battles were fought. It's usually where they got in trouble. In the book of Exodus, you see wonderful picture of this. You see Moses, the leader, up on the top of the mountain, literally spending 40 days and 40 nights in God's presence. Can't get any better than that. I mean, it got to the point where Moses finally said, God, if you've been pleased with me, I hope you've been pleased with me because there's only one thing I asked. This is nice to be up here with your cloud and your presence, you know, your glory, but I want to see you. I want to see you. And God got to God, he says, he says, but you can't see my face and live. He says, but here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in, the, in, in the, this crag in the rock, which, of course, represents Christ because in Christ we can see him. So I'll cover you with my hand and I'll pass by and then I'll give you a little glimpse of the backside of me. Woo! He came down off that mountain. His face was glowing. His clothes were glowing. While he was on the mountain and God's giving him the ten instructions, the 
Now, you should know better than that. I've taught you. They're not ten instructions. You're sleeping. They're ten commandments. God's writing them with His finger. And down in the... Down in the... Down in the valley. That's that's a nice title for a song. Down in the valley. Yeah, but down in the valley, they got impatient because they couldn't see their leader. They couldn't see him. See, they walked by sight, not by faith. They couldn't see their leader. So what did they do? They went to the next guy they could see, Aaron. Now, Aaron wasn't God's first choice. I don't want to get too much off in this. But when God appeared to Moses on the burning bush, God told him what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses, first of all, said, how do I know they're going to listen to me? And he had performed three miracles for him. He says, take those miracles and show the people. And then Moses pushed God. See, God will bear with you and teach you things, but you can push him too far because he knows you know something because he does know, he knows you perfectly. He knew Moses got the message, but now Moses is trying to come up with an excuse. And Moses says, but you know I don't talk well. I have a speech impediment. That was a lie. Because in Hebrews 11, it tells he was a man of great power in words and deeds. So he's coming up with an excuse. So God says, all right, your brother Aaron's coming. Then here's what I'll do. I'll speak to you You speak to Aaron, and Aaron will speak to the people. He'll be my prophet to the people. I don't believe that was God's best. I believe God's best was to speak through the man, Moses, that he had called up on the mountain. So now the the representative that Moses made God choose is in the valley, and he was not a strong leader. So the people came and put pressure on him to to take the gold and the silver that God had given them when they left Egypt to build the tabernacle. God had given them that gold and silver as the the, the raw materials to form what they were going to worship Him with and instead they melted it down and they formed the image of a golden calf and they called that Jehovah God. They called that the God that brought them out of Egypt. They didn't call it Baal. They didn't call it Satan. They called it God because they could see Him now. That happened in the valley. That happened in the valley. Have have any of you ever gone... Sometimes we call it a a valley experience. Those aren't the most exciting times of our life, are they? They're dry. They're, I don't know where God is, but I'm walking through this by faith. Am I the only one who's ever gone through that? We call them valley experiences for a reason. It's further separated from God, at least in a physical sense, in a a, a symbolic sense. So the first thing we note here is that the place that the Spirit of God takes him is a valley. Psalm 23 says, verse 4, Though I walk through the of the shadow of death. Now, I don't know about you, but shadow of death doesn't sound exciting to me. The Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. I shall not want. Oh, yeah. He leads me by green pastures. He leads me by still waters. Yeah. The valley of the shadow of death. Now, he leads me through it. That's the good news. But the valley signifies, mm, not good. 
not good. The valley of the shadow of death. Another example of that is when Abraham, God had blessed Abraham and was forming a covenant with him back in Genesis. He brought along his nephew Lot. And they're both prospering to the point that their herds are running into each other. Their herdsmen, their servants are getting into fights and arguments because they're impinging on each other's grazing pasture. And so Abraham calls Lot to him and says, we've got a problem here. He says, we're going to have to separate because there's just not enough room. That's how much God's blessed us. And this is the, this is, this is the, this is, these are the words of a man of faith. It doesn't matter where I go because I know God's going to take care of me. You choose, Lot, where you want to go. And the choice was to stay up on the upper range or down in the valley. And Lot looked around him and the upper range looked a little barren. It didn't look all that lush. And he looked down in the valley and it says it was lush. It was green. It was fertile. See, Abraham walked by faith. Lot walked by what he could see. Often in making choices with God, if you choose what think look good, that's often not God's direction. And he chose to the, the fertile valley. Now see, what he couldn't discern, because he was looking with natural eyes, what he couldn't discern is down in that fertile valley were two cities. And he couldn't see where those cities were spiritually, but their names are Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the time it's all over and done with, Lot literally escapes with his life and the life of his children. His wife doesn't even fully make it out. While Abraham's growing and prospering. Now where did all that happen? Down in the valley. Down in the valley. So the valley, especially in the Old Testament, signifies something that's apart from God's presence and God's revelation. It's where we do things in our own strength, with our own understanding, and handle things by our own efforts. It's often where battles took place and will take place in the end, down in the valley. So as cute as that song sounds, down in the valley, in the Bible, that's not where often where good things happen. Now, there may be some exceptions, but by and large, that's where, where good things happen. Okay. So the first thing we see is these bones that the Spirit of God is showing him are in a valley. Okay. Second thing is what he's showing them are bones. Think about that. They're not bodies. They're bones. Now, it's one thing to run across a dead body. But when it's dead bones... See, Jesus raised some bodies from the dead. He raised the, the widow's son in name. He raised him from the dead right out of the funeral. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd been there four days, but he still had skin and bones. He may have stunketh, but he still had skin and bones. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, but she still had skin and bones. They just weren't alive. So when he raised him from the dead, life came back into an existing body. But when you see bones... No skin, no muscle, no tendons, no sinew. Not only are they bones, they're not connected anymore. They're scattered throughout the, bo- throughout the valley. That's about as hopeless 
as it can get. Now just bear with me. That's about as hopeless as it can get. But we want to talk about the fact of what it means that they're bones. Bones can't do anything. They just lie there. Now you can do things with them, but the bones have no life and they have no power. They have no ability to do anything because they're bones with no strength and they're scattered. They're alone. They're separated from every other bone that's lying there. They're in the same place. Ooh. They attend the same church. Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. We're all Christians. They're all in the same place. But we weren't connected to the right bones so that they had any meaning or any, could accomplish any purpose. And even if they were, they were just bones. In fact, they were dried up bones. Dried bones means that the marrow, your bones, most of your bones have marrow in them. And although the bone may be hard on the outside, the inside is called marrow. And from what I understand, is the marrow is what produces your blood cells. Especially the red ones. The marrow produces your blood cells. In Leviticus 17 and several other places, it says the significance of your blood, that's why blood covenant is important, blood sacrifices are important, The significance of the blood is that the life is in the blood. That's why blood has the highest value to God. That's why it's the blood of Jesus that's so powerful. It's not his physical blood, because that was poured out on that earth, on Calvary. It is what that blood represents. It represents his life poured out for us. So bones that have no marrow talk about pieces of a body that are incapable of producing life. They're there. They're collected together, but not where they're supposed to be. And they're dried. They have no strength. And they've lost, they've dried up in them is the ability to produce Life. Now, this is what God was showing Ezekiel where Israel was. Bones. Bones. They're there. They have the potential to do something, but in that state of existence, they can do nothing. They have a form of a person. They have the ingredients of a person, but no power. And we're going to look a little later on at something wrote, Peter wrote, P, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Talking about a church that has the form of godliness, but not the power thereof. These bones had the potential to be put back together and form the appearance of a person but no life. We're going to see that in a minute. They're dry. They have no marrow. 
Without marrow, the bones cannot produce life. And they're scattered. They're just lying there. They have no value against the enemy. We're going to see in the end how important that is. No life, no hope. They're not connected to other parts. It takes each bone connected to the right part. Have you ever seen, whether it's in a movie or maybe in school, in biology class, that have this skeleton hanging? Not in the closet, hopefully, but out, out in the classroom where you can see it. And nowadays you can see them online. You can see the skeleton. So that you, you've ever been in a doctor's office, you're sitting there waiting, you know, and, and I'll, be, I'll be good because we have a doctor here. And, and, but you're waiting, you know, and, and you get a chance to start looking at the pictures around. You're just like, <laughs> your mind starts running, you know. And you see these breakup outs where they've got, you know, the, half of it's the skeleton, the other half shows the muscles. And that's for instructional purposes. Okay? So, so when those bones are put together where they're supposed to be, you can recognize what kind of, what kind of uh, being it was. You can recognize whether it was a human, whether it was a dog, or what it was. You may not be able to tell a whole lot about them, but you can tell, identify what they are. But when those bones are scattered, you have no idea unless you are, you are a scientist and can do, t- can do testing what kind of bone those bones are. If you're un- an untrained eye, you don't know what they came from. You just know they're parts of something that was. And that's where these bones were. They were scattered. They were separated. Scattered. And yet, they were all in the same place. They were all in the same place. It takes each bone connected to the right part of the body, to the, to connect it to the other bones that are correct, to produce a body. It takes each bone being correctly connected to the right bones in order to reap. So if you drop that skeleton, suppose in bringing it into the biology lab, it got dropped and they just all over the place. Oh my goodness. Now you've got to know something about the bones to know where they get connected. You can't just take, you can't just take an art major. Say, so we've got a problem here. I dropped the skeleton. And I, got, I just need it to... So the art major is going to try and make it look good. They're going to make it maybe abstract. So they stuck, you know, this bone up here and that bone over here and, and this bone over here. And, and they stand back and say, wow, what a masterpiece. That's what's happening in some churches. You've got a man or someone trying to make something that looks good to the world. So they're sticking bones and things where it's going to look nice. It's going to be attractive and appealing. Friendly. So we'll attract people in by the way we look. The question is, what can that artistic piece produce what can those bones that are just glued to a piece of plywood and and, and painted to look nice what can they produce what was their original purpose the purpose of those bones was not to look good because you can't see those bones in a healthy person but they're essential because that's how you can stand up and that's how you can walk because those bones provide structure 
to the muscles and the sinews and the tendons and the tendons and the skin. So the bones aren't intended to look good. They're intended to function in a working relationship with other bones that have been created and designed by the great designer himself. If you don't believe in creative design, then just study a little bit about DNA. It's really hard to understand DNA, really hard to understand DNA, which are a grand scheme of how you're supposed to look and think that there's no creator, that there's no purposeful creation, that all those cells just kind of fell into place together over eons of time. And so... So if you drop it, and you wouldn't go get an art major. You wouldn't go get somebody from the, from the auto shop in. What you would get is a biology major. Because they've studied where those pieces go back together again. They've studied where the clavicle goes. They've studied where the tibia goes. They'd study where the, where the, the patella goes. They study where, they know where each of the, then they can look at it and say, ah, that goes up here. Are you sure you've seen, you've ever been in a, in a history, natural history museum, have you seen these, the skeletons of the old dinosaurs and things like that? They had to know something about them to know where they belonged. So all these movies and things about, you know, dinosaurs, they only know what they look like by looking at the skeleton. Because they've never seen one. We don't have pictures of them. Drawings of what artists think they look like. And so, this is a valley. These are bones that are scattered, although they're all in the same place. And they're scattered, they're individual. They're separated from their assignment. They're separated from being able to carry out their purpose. You know, look kind of hopeless, isn't it? Well, there's more. The bones are isolated, alone, not connected. And as a result, because they're isolated and alone, even though they're in the same place, they can't produce anything from God's perspective. That's what we're talking about now. This is God's vision. This is not comparing ourselves with ourselves. This is not comparing ourselves by others. This is comparing ourselves with what God sees and what God wants. And so the question is, can we produce what God wants? Can we produce what God sees? Can we carry out His kingdom and His purposes? See, Jesus came to this earth and walked on this earth for about three and a half years. But when He was in that agony in the garden, His prayer was, Father, is there any way that this cup, go into that cross, can pass from Me? Now, He'd done, we talked about this last week, He'd done all kinds of wonderful things. His life had been a blessing to so many people. And it was conceivable when he says, not my will, that his will was to continue on so that he could continue to bless people, see people healed, delivered, set free. He must have had that thought that if I just continued on this, I could continue to see people delivered. I could continue to be a blessing to people's lives. But that wasn't the Father's will. That wasn't his assignment. His assignment, ultimately, was to let go of this life sow his life the way we talked about last week and go to that cross because it's only on that cross that the true value and the true meaning of his life can be truly realized 
not just for that generation, but for every generation to come. So it's not just whether we're doing things or whether we're doing good things. It's not just whether we're a good church or we're accomplishing good things, and we are. We support like 46 missionaries. And I know a number of them that if we just dried up tomorrow, they'd have some serious challenges because they rely upon us. And us is you and me together. And that's wonderful. But what's our ultimate purpose? That's part of it, just like part of Jesus' purpose was blessing people and taking care of people. But if we get our eyes just on that, we may well miss the ultimate purpose. Okay. Awful quiet. Like in the valley. All right. Praise the Lord. Whoa. Okay. Third thing about this we see, the skeleton, a skeleton consists of all bones that are brought together, now listen carefully, in the right order. All bones that are brought together in the right order that was ordained by the Creator as to what that order is. One of the things the Lord spoke to me about the church in general, let alone this church, is things are out of order. That doesn't mean we're disorderly, but compared to God's order, God's placement, God's purpose, we are out of order. And order is very important to God. Jesus, when he was going to feed the 5,000 men plus all the women and children, what did he tell them to do? He sat them down in groups of 50s and 100s. He had to perform, he had to get them in an orderly fashion to perform a miracle. Is it possible? Is it possible that the Spirit of God has wanted to do some things here, but he can't do them because we're not yet in the right order? Is that possible? 1 Corinthians 14 says, talking about the gifts of the Spirit operating, and they operated profusely and powerfully in that church, but God wasn't pleased because they were out of order. And he says, God does things decently and in order. Order is very important to God. God has an order and a structure. He has a chain of command. It's all important to Him, very important to Him. You've heard me teach that authority is a very dear subject to God because what we do with authority in the earth represents what we think of His authority. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. I want to just very quickly read something to you. This is out of John Bevere's book that I mentioned to you a number of weeks ago called Relentless, which we have in the library, in the bookstore. I was reading this, coming to the end of this book, and he talks about, and I'll talk next week about 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, I'll do that next week. I want to leave you with this statement because I don't want to leave you there. Verse 3. Having seen all this, God asks a question. Isn't it interesting? God asks this question. Son of man, talking to the prophet, can these bones live? Son of man, can these bones live? This is what I see, God says. Can they live? Notice Ezekiel's answer. Oh Lord God, you know. 
That means the question was hanging in doubt. You know. Verse 4. And again it said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. We're going to end there today. Don't leave here condemned, discouraged, convicted maybe. All we're doing is laying a foundation because what God wants to do is to breathe on our bones. But before God can breathe on our bones, we've got to know where we are. We have to awake and find out where God sees us so that we can stop being content with where we see ourselves and allow God then to begin to move in us. This is a message of great hope. This is a message of great power. And this is a message of great potential. So don't leave here feeling discouraged. Sobered, yes. Awake, yes. But the hope is, as we get to the end, God says these bones can live, but there's something we've got to do so that they can live. Father, we thank you today that we're not like the name of Ichabod in the Old Testament. I pray that we're not God. For Ichabod means the presence of God has departed. Father, we trust and pray that your spirit is present here. We still experience the things of God. And we trust and believe that you are now awakening us to this time where we are. A critical juncture in Faith Christian Center together. Help us, Father, in this week that lies ahead to be sober and alert and awakened and realize where we are. Help us all to see the dry bones in our life, the dry bones in the church, the dry bones that are around us. We thank you, Father, for the word that these bones can live and then prepare us to see what it is we must do so that these bones in us and truly live and we can become the army of the Lord. Thank you for that. We trust you, Father, going forth that you'll continue to guide us and to direct us. In Jesus' name.